0: This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome.
1: It's another episode of the Doctor Who podcast, number 299. Because I know, dear listeners, you just enjoy keeping counts and you need reminding at the beginning of each episode precisely how many episodes we've managed to produce. And yes, Phil, we are one away from 300 episodes. I know, the
2: magic 300.
1: How about that? Woo. Woo. And we have absolutely nothing special planned (laughs) for episode
2: 300. Well, I suppose that's not entirely true, is it? No, not really. I think we might do something a little bit special, perhaps. It's a good milestone to reach 300. Perhaps, given that we got together in person this weekend with Adam
1: and Ian we might be able to give you a review of The Curse of Femric because that was the reason why we all got together. The BFI screened it in glorious technicolour. I'm sure it wasn't technicolour, but it was... Well, the colour was glorious Yes, anyway. it was, yes. Um, yes. <laughs> um, and, and we thought it would be nice just to sit there and not only review the story we thought we'd share what it was like when four DWP hosts who are used to speaking to each other um, through the internet actually meet up in person. <laughs> yes, we thought through, we'd share what that was like. Through the
2: medium like. of Skype only, isn't it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, the curse of Femmerich screening at the BFI was to celebrate, in part, the fact that it was Doctor Who Day, the 23rd of November. Doctor Who, our silly old show that we come online and talk about once a month, is fifty six years old. I know, I know, <laughs> um, which is quite incredible. It is
2: actually. It's, it, I can't believe it's already six years ago. We were all sort of gearing up for the fiftieth. <laughs> well, actually, that that that
1: occurred to me after we'd all gone home. Mm. That precisely six years ago, I was also at the BFI watching Day of the Doctor <laughs> uh, with Michelle. So yeah, uh, to the day. Oh no,
2: um, I, I, I was sitting at home actually, and then. Um actually had the misfortune to turn over to BBC Three later on that evening to see that awful uh, Doctor Who party. The after party, yes, as they called yes, it. Yes, yeah, that was I pretty know. dire, actually, where the, uh, the hosts didn't seem to know the names of any of the actors.
1: No, that's right. Um, and we saw that recorded live because it was literally... Um, Directly after Day of the Doctor aired on on BBC One, so it it was quite interesting watching it take place. I I have to say, and it really was as chaotic behind the camera as it was in front of the camera. <laughs> you know, it was it was just a complete mess. But it does seem to have stayed with fans, and is certainly part of for being a mess. me <laughs> well, yeah, almost certainly. It, it just it's, it's like one of those things that just never ever. Um, manages to delete itself from from your memory. It was once seen. You couldn't really couldn't really forget about it. But uh, but also, the BBC used the anniversary to release the trailer
2: for series twelve. Yes, indeed, indeed. It was quite good to see it on the uh, on the big screen, actually, um, with other Doctor Who fans, obviously. Um, and I actually thought now. So I think some people are going to have a different opinion because I've seen other th- stuff online but I thought the response was a little bit muted. From the audience at the BFI, from the
1: audience, okay.
2: yes, I did. I thought it was a little bit a bit muted. Um, Interesting.
1: Now, I I wasn't there when it was actually screened, as you can probably tell, listeners. I'm somewhat ill. Uh, I'm actually recovering, but um, I, I managed <laughs> to stay put for the whole of the Curse of Fenric, and then I just had to leave. Now, <laughs> draw draw yes. your own conclusions as to whether or not um, Doctor Who actually made me feel better. But uh, I I did miss the the screening of the trailer. But I'm I'm interested there because. I, I've seen various trailers that have been screened exclusively at events and I, I remember season, oh, I can't remember what season it was now, I think it was the second or third Matt Smith season, um, they aired the trailer at the official Doctor Who convention in Cardiff a few years ago and the, and That's the response, right. yes, I think you were, yes. you were there as well weren't you? I was mm. there, yeah. yeah. And the response, the response to that was was like, it was a rock concert,
2: <laughs> Yes, it was. I, th- I think having Matt Smith, Karen Gill and Arthur Darville there on the day... Probably helped, remember. Yeah. I remember Matt Smith leaning over the balcony because he was right above me <laughs> um, in the theatre sh- shouting, show it again, which they promptly yes, did. Yes, I remember. Yeah, but um, I don't know, maybe because it was, it was a long afternoon because we had a Q&A to sit through as well. They showed loads of snippets of extras from the upcoming uh, season 26 Blu-ray release, right. And I think, and the season twelve or series twelve, we going to call it, um, trailer was the last thing they showed. So maybe a little bit of fatigue had set in at that point. Oh, I don't. I, I, I think that's a lousy excuse. I mean, I, I, I <laughs> well, I, I, I was shuffling in my seat. I couldn't wait to get out and just walk because oh. I've lost the power of my legs. I think at that. Well, point. maybe that so. says
1: something about the demographic of the uh, the audience, really. Um And maybe if you'd have uh, replaced all of the late forties, early fifties <laughs> Doctor Who fans yes. with a whole bunch. Yes. Of enthusiastic young fans, then perhaps they would have all squeed a little bit more. Um, perhaps <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm guessing, obviously, but uh, but Jamesy, are you saying we're not down with the kids? We're absolutely, categorically not down with the kids, spelt with a Z.
2: <laughs> oh damn! <laughs> this our street cred's completely out the window. Well, I'm not don't sure it. it ever existed, Phil. I not mean, I <laughs> know, for any of
1: us. But uh, but either way, I, I've seen the trailer online now because it was released almost either simultaneously or straight after uh, they screened yeah. it at the BFI, and it's it's about a minute in length and yep. loads of little cuts in it, and I think we do get to see excerpts from about six episodes, maybe a bit it's, more than that.
2: Maybe, maybe. Um, I think one of the things it, it certainly did do was confirm that Stephen Fry uh, and oh, Selenny yes. uh, Henry yes, yes. Uh, are appearing in this, um, in this series. Apparently both are in... So so rumour has it, both in the first episode. Yeah, that's
1: what I've heard as well. In fact, I think the announcement did say they would be joining Jodie Whittaker when she returns. Um, It's interesting casting again. I mean, Stephen Fry has long been associated with Doctor Who ever since he was confirmed as a writer for Series 2. Yes. When the script was never used. So, yeah, it's good to see him back. But I suppose both... Stephen Fry and Lenny Henry, known for their comedy more than
2: perhaps their acting. I think, I mean,
1: both have had straight roles. Yeah,
2: I think Lenny Henry sort of carved a bit of a niche for himself as a serious actor. And of course, he was in the last series of Broadchurch, which of course Chris Chibnall um, uh, created. So yeah, it it appears he likes to sort of um, bring us his little stable of actors
1: yeah, with him. it feels a little bit like you know Doctor Who uh, of, of, of old, where you used to have the directors yes. having their own little rep almost uh, that they used to yeah. just cast the same the same guys again and again. Chibnall certainly does like using known entities, doesn't he? He mm.
2: does, and I, I suppose he feels it's a,
1: a safe pair of hands. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. But um, that's not the only thing we know about season 12 now. I think um, not only have we actually seen elements of it, we must talk about the trailer in a bit more detail in a second, but we also know the writers... And the directors as well. So I think all of the production information is available online. And we've got a few returning writers, I think, as well from the previous season this time too. So clearly they are still going for something that is a continuation of what they set up in in season 11. But it it, it does appear that they have decided to ditch the... Lack of continuity or lack of connection with Doctor Who's past. Because I counted from the trailer at least three returning monsters. Um, And maybe there's others as well. Who knows?
2: Three. Now, I I obviously got the Jadoon and the Cybermen in the trailer. What was the other, the third one you spotted? I think it was the Ragnos.
1: Yes, it did look... Could be wrong, but I'm not sure. It did look familiar.
2: It did look very familiar
1: and yeah. I, I have a feeling that is played by Anjali mohindra as well now i may have just got that spectacularly wrong but i I've, <laughs> i I've, I've, i noticed something on her twitter feed that i didn't pay a great deal of attention to um so we'll mm. have to we'll have to have a look i may be right there and it of course may not necessarily be a and there was also a very clear clip of some kind of giant scorpion and of course um perhaps that's from the same story if it's insect related it could be yes um, but we've, um, we've yet to have any kind of giant scorpion we must be running out of animals now um to <laughs> um i'm
2: trying to think back to giant scorpion um Ooh. oh now what was that one from series three um that mark gatis was you know when he you know he, he that machine made him younger again he turned into a giant oh the Lazarus scorpion. experiment Lazarus experiment that's it yeah yeah
1: that was uh, yes i remember i, I a game the old memory is not what it used to be um it's that that was Well, you, well, you remember the episode title i did yes i know so- but then there was a big clunk after that memory uh, came back <laughs> and now i've forgotten everything else about it yeah um but this one looks a lot more like a, a real scorpion but just um, it did, just, yeah. just 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 uh, made to look a bit uh, larger um we have another beach um, and of course, whenever there's a beach in Doctor Who, everybody assumes that it's the same beach as, as Bad Wolf Bay, uh, which was, <laughs> <laughs> which I think um, in the context of the story was in Norway, but isn't <laughs> in reality.
2: No, I, I've got to say, let it go. If, Come we, on.
1: <laughs> well, have we got then? Have we got a return to Bad Wolf Bay with bats?
2: Well, Maybe. Maybe. Um, bat Batwolf Bay, I don't know. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> there we go.
1: Um, Batwolf Bay, you heard it here first. Um, <laughs> um, I, I think we saw a little bit more of the interior of, of the TARDIS,
2: and uh, there's a few more colours than I seem to remember from Seasoning. Yes, it, it does seem to be a bit brighter. Mm. Um, apparently, they have made some tweaks to the TARDIS set. So, the, obviously, you've got the, the centre, or the time rotor which is just a great big rock, uh, moves up and down. But you haven't got those funny, you know, the arms yeah. that surround the TARDIS console that meet in the middle over top of the time roads. So apparently, they don't move anymore. Ah, okay. So, it, it, cause I, I think they found a bit too um, distracting. But it certainly does look a lot a lot brighter than it was before. Apparently, there's um, an upper level now as well. Right. In there, but not as um, not as as big as Matt Smith's or um, Peter Capaldi's TARDIS set.
1: Well, I, I think they would have had to take the opportunity to make the TARDIS a little bit more impressive because it just and I, I don't know whether this is true. It just like the set wasn't finished in the last season.
3: And
2: well, I thought I, I thought compared to the the, the previous set, I, f- I found it a little bit underwhelming. Yeah. Uh, badly lit, and also it was too short because Jodie Whittaker is bending over practically to to reach the console Mm. Um, it just doesn't seem high enough so... Um, whether they've addressed that this season as well, um, who knows? It just, as you say, it, it didn't look finished. Well, no, but
1: I, I'd say some, yeah. the glimpse that we got of it from the trailer, I would suggest that it it looks a little bit more impressive. So that, that would be good. Yes. And it almost felt as though they were trying to truncate the number of scenes that were in the TARDIS last season, because they were very, very few and far between. And um, yeah. whereas this time around, you know... It does look a little bit more colourful, and wh- why wouldn't you want to have some of the you know major character scenes in the TARDIS? They, I mean, that, that's you know an iconic part of the show. The fans are automatically engaged with any kind of TARDIS, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. um, you'd really want to. Maximize and utilize your strengths, I would suggest, but yeah that, that, that looked yeah. good to me. Um, I, I also thought that the inclusion of the companions was was uh, was extremely brief. Um, you know I know there's three of them and they all got about one line each <laughs> on this occasion yes um, and, and the theme again which uh, Bradley Walsh mentions or Graham mentions is is family. Which
2: um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah okay yeah yeah I I, I don't like the, the the fam no I, like I, I it feels no. way
1: too forced for me
2: yeah I think another thing worth mentioning is people have got quite excited about sort of the obviously it just appears to be driving the plot more than anything else is the, the slight sort of more Matt Smith style costume that Jodie Whitaker's sporting <laughs> um, in a couple of scenes and that, people actually saying they prefer that to the Thirteenth Doctor's actual outfit. You're not referring and to a tuxedo, got, are you? Well, no, it's actually a long coat. It's not actually a tux. It looks more like, you remember that, that long green coat that Matt Smith wore for a couple of stories? Yes. It looks very similar to uh, that. Okay, well, I, um, I may have
1: missed that then. I certainly call all four characters wearing... Wearing tuxes. But jo,
2: but Jodie Whittaker's, Whittaker's the one who's not wearing a tux. She's got a longer coat. Oh, on. and she's the one um, who comes
1: out with the Mock Bond line. You know, Doctor. Yeah. The Doctor. The Doctor, <laughs>
2: Yeah. yeah. So, no, I must admit, it, it, it does look rather good. But I think it's, it's probably just to drive that particular story along rather than actual any costume change itself. But, uh, yeah.
1: One thing I did uh, want to finish on then, uh, when I'm talking about the trailer, is uh, Cybermen again. I know <laughs> Cybermen are, you know... the. the the second largest and most successful monsters uh, that Doctor Who has ever seen after the Daleks. But, um, you know, after I think it was the last two series um, for Peter Capaldi ended with Cyberman stories, they're back again. And, you know, I'm not complaining. I do like a good Cyberman story. Um, Unfortunately, there are very few of them
2: in a new series. Yes, yes. I... (sighs) I'm a bit torn on the side of because I think that the original concept for them was um, was really good, but I think over the years, and it's the same with the Daleks as well, they've become very much diluted, yeah. um, in, in in my opinion anyway. Um, so it will be interesting to see what they actually do with them this time around. They do the brief sort of glimpse we we did get of them in the trailer. They seem to be a bit more um, battered than what we've seen them recently. So unless we're sort of getting a more like of a uh, scrap heap challenge hmm. style Cyberman, as as like we got with with the Dalek in Resolution. Um, that that remains to be seen. Oh yeah, possibly. Yeah, but I just yeah. thought that would be quite a good episode title, wouldn't it? Bored of the
1: Cyberman. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Mm. We? Because we're still waiting for the uh, the faceless ones uh, to come out, uh, which we know is going to be in 2020. Don't know when yet. Um, but I think it certainly surprised me. We're getting fury from the deep as well. Yeah. Um, and
1: mean, may possibly have mentioned this in the past. Um, I, I'm a little bit perplexed as to why the announcements are are coming out so far in advance. I'm not complaining once again. Uh it's nice no, it's no, nice to no, know neither. the animated range is uh, is thriving enough to be able to plan two releases and hopefully more than that in advance. Um and, and they've released a small clip. Fury from the deep, I have to say, is is one of my favourite Patrick Trouton stories of all time. Um, Not only do I know the soundtrack off by heart, uh, I read the book, which was an extended book, uh, not a novelisation. It was a significant story for me to really get into the second Doctor era. And uh, I I just really found it quite, um, I found it quite horrific, I think, initially, uh, so I am very much looking forward to seeing it again uh, animated.
2: Well, call call me a bad fan, if you like, but I've never listened to any of the other surviving audio. I've not looked at any reconstructions online. I haven't read, not yet read, the target novelisation for hmm. it. Um, so really, this would be, for a better description, a completely new story for me. Which I'm rather looking forward to. <laughs> First of
1: all, yes, you are a bad fan. If you've never had any <laughs> contact with Fury from the Deep, then that's that, that's shocking. That's a shocking admission, Phil. But uh, but I also envy you to a degree because you'll be going into it completely cold.
2: Yes, and that's that's why I'm really excited about yeah, well, so, I've probably built yeah. up your
1: expectations way too much now. But it's um it, it's one of the missing stories. All six episodes are missing. There are a few clips. Uh, that yep. are surviving. There's a couple of famous clips actually that you'd probably would recognise. There's there's one of a guest cast member. Um, who just opens his mouth. He's bald and he opens yes. his mouth quite wide. Uh, that's quite an iconic image, actually, from 60s Doctor Who. And that's from...
2: Extremely creepy image as well. Yeah,
1: the, the whole story is quite creepy. I'm, I'm not entirely certain how creepy it would be if it existed. You know, because <laughs> s- some some of the Troughton stories, production's values were excellent. And you know, Tomb of the Cybermen, I, I think, adds to the atmosphere. But something like, um, I don't know, The Underwater Menace, for instance, um, or, or mm. and I would hazard a guess at saying The Space Pirates too. looking at some of the images of the um, spaceships uh, in, in that story, I think will undermine, um, because obviously your mind plays a far better picture uh, when you just listen to the soundtrack, uh, which is part of the reason exactly. why I, I love Big Finish. But, um, but yeah. Fury From the Deep, uh, again, obviously I've never seen it. I've got High expectations for this one, and and to a degree they face these ones as well. They are they are both fairly creepy uh, six part uh, second Doctor stories. So yeah, very much looking forward to it. And and in fact, because I like it so much, that's why it's got disproportionate coverage on our episode cover. So please do take a look <laughs> um at the episode cover if you uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes, you probably won't get to see it. But if you head over to um our website, the DoctorWho Podcast.com, you'll see each of our podcasts have individual covers lovingly and painstakingly put together by Dave. So thank you very much indeed, Dave. And I did want Fury Works from of our induction. Oh, you he- incredibly incredibly hard. Yeah. I think he dreads getting an email from me <laughs> uh, once, once a <laughs> month. Um, but I, I did ask him to give uh, Some real coverage To Fury from the Deep Just because I love it um, And I, I do wonder whether or not If people don't know Fury from the Deep uh, Very well Whether or not they'll get the reference on the cover But I don't care <laughs> Big
4: finish with Michelle Andrew From across the Atlantic Ocean Michelle Andrew Who are from the United States with your wing big finish, sorting out the weeds from the chop and nuncens, saving you money on the ones that are not so good.
0: What if the doctor had never been Unit's scientific advisor? It's the doctor all right, but not the one you were expecting
4: in High places don't like my attitude They've dumped me somewhere I can't do any harm And they've taken away my means of escape
5: Where were you when I needed you, eh?
4: I was supposed to arrive earlier, much earlier It's 1997, I'm years out You wouldn't believe some of the things I saw I mean, plastic robots trying to take over the world I ask you I've obviously missed out on a lot of developments Lucky you, some of us have to
3: live through them Well, I'm here now, I'm stuck here now.
0: So, Drew, what is going on here?
3: <laughs> Michelle, I'm glad you asked. Um, I had not heard of this story before. So last night when I was prepping for this episode, I downloaded it. I hit play. And I sat back and just went,
4: what? <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, with zero preparation, I was not expecting to hear David Warner uh, as the doctor. Uh, I was very surprised to find out that this was not your typical Big Finish story. Uh, <laughs> five minutes into the story, I kept on expecting to hear a familiar Doctor's voice, and I kept on hearing David Warner, and I was thinking, oh, David Warner, I love David Warner. I wonder what character he's <laughs> playing, the Doctor, what? Um, so this is Doctor Who Unbound. This is a, a kind of a what-if series that Big Finish released in 2003 that takes place after the events of the War Games, And instead of John Pertwee's doctor showing up in the 1970s, we have David Warner as a doctor showing up in 1997. This threw me. Yes, (laughs) indeed. This (laughs) threw me. I was not That's great. I'm, this I'm, at all.
0: I think it's great that I think it's great that you entered this without even knowing about the Unbound Universe. Yes, there there is this whole set of thing back around 2003. It was the 40th anniversary of Doctor Who, and it was one of Big Finish's way of celebrating um, by by casting different doctors, uh, different actors as the Doctor, and seeing what might happen. This one's starring the wonderful David Warner and other familiar voices. Right?
3: Oh boy, let me tell you. So I I was listening, and and as the story goes on, I, and maybe, maybe I should do a little bit more homework before listening, but I feel like that sometimes colors the way I, I interpret a story. So I just kind of went in blind, and I was like, oh, David Warren, this is great. Okay, cool. And as I'm listening, I kind of went online and went, sympathy for the devil, what is this going to be? Okay, so this is a what if story. I, I get that. That's neat. Uh, I kind of uh, wait. Is that Nicholas Courtney <laughs> as the Brigadier? Wow. Okay.
0: Wow. Um, it was so good. Actually, it, it was it was so good, wasn't it, to hear Nicholas Courtney's voice again? It was uh, so you forget good. just how much we we, we miss that actor. Uh, and that's one of the delights, one of many delights, actually, of this story. In my opinion, is just getting to hear Nicholas Courtney again, who essentially plays the companion uh, to David Warner's doctor. But uh, but. It's not quite the brigadier we're expecting either, right? What's up with that?
3: Yeah, so apparently when the doctor's not there to work alongside the brigadier, the brigadier gets himself into some hot water. I mean, I'm not 100% sure what would change uh, the job, whether the doctor's there or not, other than maybe the success rate. But we do get a catalog of events that the brigadier goes through of adventures that he and Unit went on That we are, as listeners, familiar with, but the results are what happens when the doctor's not there to help. Uh, And that kind of gets the brig in some hot water and gets him sent over uh, to the east to, I I guess, he's been demoted, uh, and that's why he's there?
0: No, I think he's actually taken, like, an early retirement. Um, He's no longer working for unit. He's in Hong Kong um, with a lot of kind of other displaced expats but but the challenge is that it's Hong Kong in 1997 and it is the eve of the handover uh, in right. which all of these events take place so you've got you've got a a somewhat disgraced brigadier who is now running a bar in Hong Kong and uh, regretting his glory days which weren't very glorious because while they managed to muddle through the alien threats no one ever believed there were aliens and 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 the consequences were were worse than they would have been with the doctors so So David Warner's doctor shows up, newly regenerated. I mean, it sounds like we're going directly from the war games to here, um, only instead of getting John Pertwee uh, in the unit era, you get David Warner in 1997, Hong Kong.
2: A Chinese stealth plane crashes in Hong Kong the day before the handover. That falls under unit jurisdiction. Good. You're old friends. No. My
4: worst enemy.
2: You saw the red star on that thing? It's a communist plane. And as of midnight
4: tomorrow, they're in charge. As of midnight tomorrow, the Chinese can move their whole army over the border, and nobody can stop them. This, you great big honorable discharge, is General curler political officer with the People's Liberation Army. We are all what our actions make us. Yeah. What we do, makes what we are. An Englishman's home is his
3: castle. Trespassers will be shot it is best to bend like bamboo in the wind
4: that rather depends on the wind it's worse than i thought
3: yeah well you know if i wasn't wasn't prepared for david warner and i certainly wasn't prepared (laughs) for nicholas courtney i definitely was not prepared for david Tennant. um And I assume that's the one you're referring to, but boy, there's an awful lot of David Tennant and I kept on taking, I don't know what the audio version of a double take is, um, (laughs) but uh, that happened many times over with this story.
0: Yeah, so David Tennant plays the uh, Brigadier's uh, successor. He plays Colonel Wood, who is now in charge of unit and is probably the opposite character wise of everything that the Nicholas Courtney Brigadier was. And so... Uh, in, in instead of getting a, a very respectable, respectful, dignified um, kind of humane person that uh, Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart was, we get a very loudmouthed, <laughs> wild, bossy uh, swear, every other word, um, Colonel Colonel Woods, which is what David Tennant plays. So this is also not the David Tennant you're used to hearing in Doctor Who, but it is it, it's, it's actually wonderful. And there is yet one more very familiar Doctor Who name in there. Uh, but performing under a pseudonym. So I'm not certain if you caught that, that one other actor. You know who I'm talking about?
3: Well, I don't. Uh, go ahead. Because I looked at <laughs> I thought, boy, these voices sound familiar, but I, when I look it up on Wikipedia, it, it doesn't, uh, doesn't tell me. So who is it?
0: The story is Sympathy for the Devil, and the, and the, uh, the devil that they're referencing in this is, is the master. And the master in right. the story is played by Sam, Ki- Sam Kisgart. Have you ever heard of Sam Kisgart?
3: No, I. In fact, I was going to click on Sam Kisgart's name.
0: <laughs> have you ever heard of Mark Gaddis? So that's,
3: you know, I was going. Man, that sounds like Mark Gaddis. It really does. But <laughs> nope, couldn't be because it's apparently this Sam Kisgard guy. Well, well, that's, in, in the doctor in me. the
0: Doctor Who tradition of pseudonyms, and and yes, so mix up the letters and you, and you get uh, Mark Gaddis. But but no, truly, you have those four actors. Uh, and they are playing, they're doing wonderfully. The performances in this are excellent. Um, we haven't even talked about whether you like the story. I hope you did. I did, obviously. I think this is just a, a kind of a, a delightful treat that's tucked away in the Big Finish um, offerings that is worth going back and finding. This was released in 2003. Uh, we talked about that. And uh, what what'd you make of the story itself?
3: Uh, I found the story to be quite confusing uh, at first because I wasn't sure if we were. And
0: I kind of don't know anything about
3: the Handover, and that's just and that's on me, right? So that's that's just my own ignorance. I thought we were dealing with a alternate timeline, uh, and it wasn't until maybe about halfway through the story that I started piecing things together. And it, I don't think it has anything to do with the script. I think it's just me as an American not knowing my history.
0: I mean, the story itself is not earth shaking. It, it's not. Um... No, you know, it's no, not it's not. Those classic, but 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 the performance are such, so fun to listen to as they go through. And I agree with you about about the handover. Um, but this, for me, ticks a box that I love in Doctor Who, and longtime listeners will know that I really love. I love it when Doctor Who does history and and kind of gives us a glimpse into something we may not have known as much about. Uh, and while this one doesn't go deep into the history of the handover, it is really a neat place to set a Doctor Who story with uh, with the tensions of. Uh, the Unit characters, knowing they have to to be out of there by midnight. The humor, the way it's written is fun. There's also some kind of meta-commentary or critique of the 80s era. The Brigadier has this wonderful speech about how how Unit was underfunded and not taken seriously and, and on and on and on. And you can tell that it's a character talking about something fictional, but it's also maybe an author commenting on an era of the show <laughs> uh and it's kind of i don't know this is a treat for fans i guess Is this, this is a treat for fans but um what you think of if not the story itself what did you think of david warner as the doctor
3: i like david warner as a doctor i like david warner's voice i've been a long time fan of his acting as particularly his movies and it was always nice to see it was nice to see him eventually in doctor who uh, on the screen um I don't think I got a really great grasp of who he was as the Doctor because this is a regeneration story. And like almost all Jim regeneration stories, you rarely, rarely get a good idea of who this Doctor is. So it's always the second story that allows you to kind of plumb the depths of who he is as a character and how what he's bringing. Because right now he's just sort of confused. Um, but... I, I liked the characterizations. I thought the acting was excellent. And and you're right. I did almost immediately go and look up about the handover. And I mean, I didn't go into too much detail because it was not that long after I listened to the story that I sat down to do this podcast. So, um, but it was definitely an, an inspiration to, to look at. Uh, and I thought the <laughs> plot was really good. And I, I liked the idea that we were looking at essentially the mind of evil and Uh, taking a different twist on that story so that was cool
5: where am i
4: the soldiers found you on the hillside they've brought you to the temple
5: i heard voices
4: yes we were talking to the pilot in the next room
6: the pilot
4: from the plane remember it crashed on the hillside
6: oh my god adam
0: where's adam
3: I want a full sweep of the area What again? Don't you what again me There is a man somewhere out on this hillside And none of you idiots can find him Now how difficult can it be?
1: Colonel it was dark
3: Dark? Dark?
1: Dear <laughs>
4: dear oh
3: dear Xanthan oh what is that big shiny thing in the sky? Helicopter colonel Not
6: that over there the sun, Colonel. Thank you. And now the sun is up. It is not
5: dark anymore. And you ought to be able to find your own arse with both hands. Now fan out and bring me Red Canary. Don't make me go there and look for him myself because I will not be happy. No move it.
0: If you if you do want to follow this doctor further, um, there was another a couple years later in the Unbound range they they released another uh, story I think it was called Masters of War that featured I believe both the doctor and this master, but this incarnation of the doctor continues in the Bernie Summerfield's Bernie Summerfield range in the in the New Adventures of Bernie Summerfield um, there are a lot of adventures that she has with with this David Warner doctor where she gets kind of pulled into a parallel universe if, if you will and again indeed sam Kisgaard as the master makes an a, appearance or two in those ranges as well so you can you can continue the stories with these if you get hooked by him
3: oh i love that i know i i definitely would like to do that maybe maybe we'll uh get yeah. another one of those stories sometime in the future
0: right, thank
2: you michelle and drew do you know what james i still haven't listened to sympathy for the devil well, i'm not surprised
1: This is it's an amazing story. It really is an amazing story, and Phil, you need to listen to it for your life to be complete. So, (laughs) I'm promised to be a very bad fan. This episode, aren't I? No, well, it's not. There's so much material out there. It's difficult to 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 have listened to everything, and it's it's taken an awful lot of wasted years for me to get up (laughs) to the level that I that I am at now. But but sympathy for the devil. Um, uh, again, it was nice to hear that Drew came to the story completely cold because that is the best yes. way. And obviously it's quite difficult to review this story without giving away some things. Um, having said that, I don't believe that anything Michelle or Drew said would compromise listeners' enjoyment of the story. So hence the reason we didn't put a huge spoiler warning in. But uh, but do do listen to it. It is extremely good. It's an hour of your life that will only make things things better. I will mention one thing about this that the other two didn't mention listen to the very very end beyond the credits beyond that
2: I will say no more whatever could James mean listeners whatever could he mean no more no more no more (laughs) no more
4: number 9 number 9 number 9 satellite 5 number
2: 9 number
4: 9 number 9 satellite 5 number 9 number 9 number 9 satellite 5 number 9 number 9 number 9 number 9 satellite 5 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 number 9 number 9 number 9 Nine satellite five number nine number nine number nine satellite five number number nine number nine number nine Satellite Number Nine Number Nine Number Nine Satellite Number Nine Number Nine Five One Number Nine Number Nine Number Nine Number Nine Satellite Five
6: Look, I'm sorry about this. Mr Van Staten might think he's clever, but never mind him.
2: I've come to help, I'm the doctor. Da Impossible.
6: Welcome to the fourth episode of our Christopher Eccleston retrospective, Nine Lives. Joining me after a great many years in the camper van is Michelle. Hi, Michelle.
0: Hi, Ian. It is so good to be back with you recording. This has been wonderful. I don't even know how many years it's been.
6: (laughs) It has been far too many years, and it it is nice to get back together and be able to talk Doctor Who to each other. And what an episode for us to uh, get back together again. Sixth episode of Christopher Eccleston's series. Dalek, the return of the Dalek, this absolutely knocked it out of the park and it was not just good to see I mean I've, I've always been a Dalek fan, I know that some fandom is split on it and a lot of fans aren't so so, so hot on the Daleks and certainly in the old days they had a bit of a reputation, but I thought this was an incredibly strong return for them and really, I don't think they've ever been I'll say they, it has ever been more menacing than this one sole Dalek was, it had more menace than you know whole legions of them had had in the old series, and indeed this series afterwards.
0: Being the story that reintroduced them could not, perhaps, I think, have been better at the menace part. And, you know, even in the new series, as the new series continued and the Daleks came back and back and back, maybe it's kind of a, I guess the more the Doctor sees them and defeats them in larger and larger numbers, kind of the threat becomes diminished from them in a way. And so there was a unique opportunity here with one Dalek bringing them back to do something wonderful, and, and they they didn't miss a beat. I think that that moment when the Doctor is in the room with this Dalek and realizes that he is with a Dalek, the fear, I mean, the fear, the panic that comes across the Ninth Doctor um, and the desperation to get out of there, that little moment tells you almost as much as you need to know as a watcher about just how bad this creature is. <laughs>
6: I thought that uh, Chris's performance in those scenes, in particular, was an absolute tour de force. I mean, he really gave it power and gravitas that I think quite a few other Doctor actors would, would have struggled with, and it really needed it there because mm. we, I've commented in the previous episodes how this is a very hard Doctor, it's a very harsh Doctor, and he's got some—he behaves in some ways that actually isn't the way we expect the Doctor to behave. What the hell are you here for?
3: What does that mean? I am a soldier! I was bred to receive orders! Well, you're never gonna get any. Not ever. I demand
6: orders! They're never gonna come! Your race is dead! You all burn, all of you. Ten million ships on fire. The entire Dalek race wiped out in one second. You lie! I watched it happen. I made it happen! You
5: destroyed us!
4: I had no choice. And what of that Time
3: Lords?
6: Dead. They burnt with you. The end of the last great Time War. Everyone lost. And here's where it's explained. Mm-hmm. This is the trauma. This is the psychological damage that he's gone through to become the person he is now. And you, and, and you see it all laid out there. And to carry that and to make it convincing and to sell the PTSD doctor, you really you really need an A grade actor. And we absolutely had that with Christopher Eccleston in particularly those scenes there.
0: Yeah, this, this course was written by Rob Shearman and the dialogue between the doctor and the Dalek is just, just spot on that, you know, the discovering between themselves that they are both the last of their of their race and how are we alike and how are we different and, you know, I'm alone in the universe, so are you. You know, the show would continue to explore that later on and with the Peter Capaldi doctor in particular, Am I Good Man? But it was done in a way first and maybe finest here in this these dialogue between the doctor and the Dalek and even up until the the final scene where the the doctor is holding the gun on the Dalek and you know Rose says you know it's not the Dalek that's pointing a gun at me just really really good stuff peeling away those layers of psychology of this new doctor that we're getting to know and why is he different as you say Um, very powerful
6: yes and I think actually that scene uh, is almost a turning point for the ninth doctor because mm-hmm. you can see him coming to realize what he has become uh, and the, the monster that he has become. And, you know, that you would make a good Dalek comment that, that is thrown at him. And you see that realization. And I think this is a turning point because the, the, for the rest of the series, I think actually some of that harshness and some of that hardness is dialed down. And I think the, he has mm-hmm. had a little bit of a revelation there that maybe he doesn't want to be that person.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, it's it's really good stuff. And also... And I do think the key moment is the one that you just mentioned. That leading into that, the whole business about closing the doors. I mean, that his decisions are being made by, by fear in some ways. But uh, you know, he's going to close the doors regardless of whether Rose gets out or not. And he makes that decision. The doors close. She doesn't get out. It wasn't your fault. Remember that, okay? It wasn't your fault. you know what? I wouldn't have missed it for the world. so long since I've watched this, but I was amazed at that image of her on the other side of the door and, and how much that kind of foreshadows what would eventually happen with the Tenth Doctor. But um, it's interesting to watch the Doctor make that decision one way the first time, and then the next time around, it's like, no, no, we're prioritizing Rose's life. We're, we're prioritizing, you know, that life, that relationship above destroying the Dalek at this point, if necessary. And so I think there's something going on there, too. But the key moment is the one you mentioned.
6: You can see in him locking out Rose through that door. This is a replay of what he did to Gallifrey and the Daleks, where he, you know, the doctor who has spent his centuries of life saving anybody and everybody that needs saving, committed genocide on a grand scale to end the Time War. And so he'd obviously crossed that threshold of, I will do whatever it takes to stop this. And he did the same again with Rose. But then reverses it and you can see him then taking that second chance to undo the thing and say i don't actually want to be that person which of course we would end up seeing writ large as that the whole time war thing was, was un- unraveled a few seasons later
0: when the dalek learns that the doctor has survived and only the doctor from the time lords the dalek says the coward survived and i wonder i mean that's not that's an interesting comment, and I don't know if we've fully explored that, why the Daleks would, would label the Doctor as a coward.
6: It, it was strange to have that sort of philosopher Dalek. I mean, of all the characters, again, I mean, Daleks can be a controversial character. There were times in particularly the old series where they were they were bouncing pepper pots that you, you, had, you only saw them as menacing mm-hmm. because you'd been told to see them as menacing. They weren't really very menacing. They had their moments, but a lot of right. times they were you have to suspend your credibility quite a lot. And this episode, more than any other, A, you see the, the true terror of, the, the, of a single Dalek and the ruthless way that it wipes all the people out and it is that fighting, killing machine that they've always been described as didn't always live up to. But then to, to be able to have that philosophical back and forth with the Doctor of all... The, the 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 aliens you could have done that with that would have probably been at the bottom of my list of characters you could do that with you you, you could imagine the silurians having that kind of, of a discussion because that was part of their whole thing even yeah. maybe cybermen because there was always a pathos to the cybermen but mm-hmm. daleks daleks have always been a very one-note enemy so it was fascinating to take that and actually do something dramatic with it
0: yeah and yet we talk about daleks sometimes when when they're at their best are are cunning um, you think about Power of the Daleks or something where they are pretending maybe to be what they're not. I mean, they have the ability when they're written well <laughs> to to think two or three steps ahead and to dissemble when they need to. And so, I mean, you certainly – you can make a case for the idea that a Dalek could certainly be capable of having um, a philosophical discussion like this. And I, I, I just think it was done particularly well here.
3: I'm begging you, don't kill him. He didn't kill me. But why not?
4: Why are you alive? My function is to kill What am I? What am
6: I? And of course, they had the story explanation that it had been infected by Rose's DNA, and I think that's useful to have that in there because it means you can then go back to having completely ruthless Daleks, which of course you will. and there's a, there's an in-story explanation. Even it also explains being able to talk the Dalek into destroying itself, which the last time it happened at the end of Remembrance of the Daleks, was slightly less credible that it would just suddenly spin around and blow up because Mm -hmm. Sylvester Mm -hmm. spoke to it in a particularly calming voice.
0: (laughs) You know, actually this one, the self-destruction of this Dalek is really fascinating because in that initial confrontation between the dalek and the doctor the dalek is looking for orders isn't, isn't that when the doctor you know yells at the dalek you know I'll give you an order kill yourself or something along those lines and it's kind of shocking when when you see that and of course the, the dalek doesn't and yet in the end it's rose out of compassion i think as much as anything that says do it you know the dalek says order my destruction and she says do it there's there's some really nice writing in this on a lot of different levels
6: yes i I think this is the strongest episode so far in this season probably the strongest episode of the season certainly one of my favorite dalek stories certainly my top 10 probably of all time stories i think it's a absolutely fabulous story with almost no duff notes at all
0: yeah there are almost no duff notes at all it's a really amazing episode interestingly enough the character that will pull us forward into the next episode we have not even mentioned. I mean, there, there's good old Adam, who perhaps in some ways is forgettable, but of course was along for the ride in this episode of The Dalek, and will take us into the next one, The Long Game.
6: The fourth great and bountiful human empire, and there it is, planet Earth at its height, covered with megacities,
2: five moons, population 96 billion, the hub of a galactic domain stretching across a million planets... A million species, with
6: mankind right in the middle. He's your boyfriend. Not anymore. People like to talk about great companions that never were. (coughs) And Adam, of course, famously is a terrible
0: companion who was. Except, you know what, I, I think I would argue, I was thinking about this, And I know they talk about, oh, as a companion, someone who traveled with the doctor, did they get in the TARDIS, they go from one place to another, all of which he did. But I think because we don't, we never see Adam in the TARDIS, we don't get that that scene, Um, I think that that is part of a way of telling us that no, I mean, yeah, he traveled briefly, but he was never a companion. Never, never really a companion.
6: <laughs> We're in danger of having one of those interminable fan discussions about yeah, what exactly no, are the qualifying yeah, criteria yeah, to be no. he a. He probably meets a, a the companion. criteria, but he
0: probably meets the criteria. But clearly, I think RTD was um, was perhaps signalling something with not even not even letting him get, <laughs> not letting us see him in the TARDIS at all.
6: I, I think he's a failed companion. I, th- I think he's deliberately set up to oh, be yeah. yes. a failed companion. So, and you can see that the Doctor's got his reservations about him from the get-go, and in fact. I absolutely love the the, the scene early on when he gets the grand reveal. The the same grand reveal that Rose had had in End of the World where she looks out on the earth and she's Mm -hmm. swept away with the magnificence of it all. And they do the same thing with Adam and he passes out and <laughs> and he goes that's your boyfriend that's oh i i, I love that and, and right from the get-go you can see yeah th- th- this is this is a failed in a, in a way actually that mickey wasn't you know M- yeah, mickey yeah. refused to do it and eventually did do it and when he did do it he did it properly right and adam right. is and just it just doesn't make the grade
0: yeah yeah and it you know what i love you also see i think in contrast to that the relationship between rose and the doctor becoming even closer in this episode but i love the way when they first get there they dash out first and the doctor gives her all the information she needs to show off (laughs) as as they uh introduce adam to this this new environment
6: and one of the things i noticed this time is there's an interesting thread that goes through the story actually that Mm -hmm. the doctor is judging people He's judging whether they're good mm. or bad. So he he also talks to the the, the head journalist, Kathika, and you know initially it's quite critical of her. Of you know you call yourself a journalist, you're not looking at this. Look at the facts all around you.
2: You're not management, are
1: you? At
6: last, she's clever.
1: Yeah, well, whatever it is, don't involve me. I don't
6: know anything. Don't you even ask? Well, why would I? You're a journalist. And then later on, she does do the right thing. You can see him revising his opinion. And he's having a similar mm-hmm. judging process around Adam. And it was interesting mm-hmm. that he, he seems to have turned into this sort of judgmental person that's very much categorizing people into to good and bad around him.
0: Again, watching something multiple times, you, you see new things every time through. Right at the beginning, there's a great little line about where the doctor says to Adam, come on, Adam, open your mind hello RTD you're putting little things in there that we don't catch the first time through. But by the way, just kind of in general, the long game, from what I've heard through the years, this tends to be kind of downplayed Is one of the not as good episodes in this series. I have always really enjoyed this one. Um, I mean, it's got some other really good ones that it's competing against. But the long game is one that I guess I would champion more than some people have. And it's actually held its own quite well over these years. There are some things that seem particularly relevant here in 2019. I love the pace of it I mean right from the beginning you know when everybody comes out for their lunch breaks and all the all the food stands open up and they get right into the, the business with Rose and and Adam and Rose kind of showing off and I, I actually really really like this one and the mystery about what's going on in the space station so
6: I think it suffers a little bit from not having a readily accessible hook. Uh, you know, to 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 not want to stand too much like Friends episodes, so many of the stories you go, Oh, it's the one with the Dalek or it's the one with the Slovene. And then you think about the long game and you think, it's the one with um the CGI thing in the ceiling and a space station and and it, it lacks a really punchy thing to hang your memory off of other than, I mean, I think personally I would probably hang it off of Simon Pegg's character because I love his character. He's mm-hmm. a brilliant uh, <laughs> foe, but it, it, it lacks that thing to, to sort of to grab onto. Uh, and certainly all the stories around it uh, have, have something like that. But I agree. I think it's a, it's a good, fun, solid story with some great performances, some great messages. Simon Pegg does a brilliant job. I mean, we had Van Staten chewing the scenery in the last story who Mm. was quite cartoonish and in fact overly cartoonish. And Simon Pegg's character should also be cartoonish and, you know, a bit lightweight, but something about how he plays it, it just works. And it really, really works and is so engaging.
0: Yeah, you know what I believe. I believe Simon Pegg is a villain. And and the idea that that the human race has been stunted in their advancement because of the control of the media by this jaggerfest creature. When I watched this back this time I actually had to pause and rewind and say did I just hear that and what year was this? I mean it sounded like something that that could have been written within the last two or three years but the whole sentence about it's it's when the doctor and Rose are up and they're confronting the editor and the editor has this wonderful speech explaining how the human beings have essentially been enslaved by the jaggerfest without knowing it
5: create a climate of fear, and it's easy to keep the
2: borders closed. It's just a matter of emphasis. The right word in the right broadcast, repeated often enough, can destabilise an economy, invent an enemy, change a vote.
3: So all the people on Earth are, like, slaves? Well,
4: now, there's an interesting point.
2: Is a slave a slave? If he doesn't know,
4: he's enslaved.
2: Yes. Oh, I was hoping for a philosophical debate. Is that all I'm going to get? Yes. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> you are no fun.
0: Whoa, that sounds a little prophetic, looking at it from 2019.
6: Yes, yeah, so I, I, I had exactly the same feeling. Uh, and I know it, it was noted at the time for being a bit of a satire of the media. But you're right, when you look at it now, you can see so many of the themes of what they talk about have come true. And indeed, the other one that I picked up on was how you know, he talked about if people have the wrong thoughts or if they're doubting They read this from the chip in their brain until they know and then they can go and intervene. And I was thinking, well, we don't have chips in our brains, but our entire lives are laid out on social media where people can assemble all the facts about our life and all the things that we think. And if someone chose to, they could go and use that to identify dissent. And indeed, people are doing these things, certainly in some nations of the world. So you might not have the chip, but that that, that side of it has also come true as well.
0: Yeah, I felt... I thought, my goodness, we're living in the fourth great and bountiful human empire. And I didn't realize it. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I I think, you know, from that perspective, if nothing else, it's interesting to take a look back at this episode. I I enjoy this one, the whole whole process of figuring out what's going on and making their way up to floor 500 and the Adam, kind of the B-plot with Adam. I'm not as engaged with, um, although, as you say, he's really there more than anything, I think, to to be a foil for for Rose as a companion. But I think also to make Rose really understand that, you know, she and the Doctor are a team.
4: Come on, come with us. No way. Bye. Well, don't mention my
0: name. When you get in trouble, just don't involve me.
6: That's Ergon. Adam's given up. Looks like it's just you and me.
0: Yeah. Good. And, and Adam's comment about, you know, it's going to take a better man man than me to get in between you two. I think from this point on, I don't think she is picking up any other boyfriends after this, as I recall. Although, does Captain Jack come in after this?
6: Uh, a couple of episodes later, but then, of course, Captain Jack, you could argue, was everybody's boyfriend.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah, I was, that was, I was going to make that argument, so thank you. <laughs>
6: <laughs> you don't like Adam. You're not supposed to like Adam. But actually, as a concept, no. I do quite like the idea of... You know, there are selfish people. I mean, it is one of the sort of it's one of those things oh, yeah. about time travel and the TARDIS that, that goes unspoken. That there are absolutely there are people out there that if you expose them to this sort of technology would immediately think, Wow, if I can send myself back the, the 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 lotto numbers, I can make my family a millionaire and would go and try and do it. And the fact that you've never seen anyone actually trying to do this is almost that's almost unrealistic. And so I think it's actually quite mm-hmm, nice mm-hmm. to set up and have a failed companion like that because we've never really seen that as a concept and I think it's played well I love the scenes with Tamsin Grigg when he's in getting his head implant and and all that (laughs) yeah yeah and then his his, his final you know come down with his mother and the head portal is very funny I mean yes it's a bit silly but it is very funny and a fitting end for it see ya how do you mean see ya as
2: in goodbye what about me you can't just go. I've got my head. I've got a chip type too. My head opens. What? Like this? Don't. Don't do what? Stop it.
0: All right now, Doctor. That's enough. Stop it.
2: Thank you.
3: Boy, Sorry, I couldn't resist.
6: The whole of history could have changed because of you. I just wanted to help. You were helping yourself.
2: And I'm sorry, and I've said I'm sorry, and I am, I really am, but... You can't just leave me like this.
6: Yes, I can, because if you show their head to anyone, they'll dissect you in seconds. You'll have to live a very quiet life, keep out of trouble, be average, unseen. Good luck. But I want to come with you. I only take the best. I've got roles. I do actually quite enjoy that B-plot. I mean, it is a little bit odd, but but I think it's enjoyable. And, and overall, the whole story, I think, is an enjoyable one and, and yeah. definitely worth a, a rewatch and as you say especially worth a rewatch now because I think it does speak very much to the age that we live in today, and I think that actually does lift the story in a way that perhaps it didn't quite so much at the time, and gives it that mm. hook of this is the story where they talk about media manipulation and what it's doing to our population, and that I think does actually give it its its own hook to hang off of.
0: Well, Ian, it has been an absolute delight to get a chance to talk with you again. We have waited too long, and I hope that we get get back together on the airwaves before too long in the future.
6: I'm sure we can manage that. We'll find something to talk about.
1: So, *Dalek* and the *Long Game* then, Phil. Um, *Dalek*—no surprise, everybody loves it. yadda yadda yada. I mean, it is—it yeah. <laughs> it is a great story. It is a great story. It's not as good as *Jubilee*. I will say that much.
2: I have listened to *Jubilee*, which—which uh, which I know that uh, *Dalek* um, does sort of borrow from. Borrow—it's it's,
1: a—it re- it is the same story. It's—it's uh, <laughs> it's, um, Rob Shearman was asked to adapt it uh, for for Eccleston, yeah. and it's um, the original script. Was the Sixth Doctor and Evelyn Smythe? Oh, that's why that's you correct. listen to it, isn't it? You like
2: Evelyn? I'm a big fan mm. of, the, of the Evelyn Smythe character. Yeah, I think Maggie Stables was absolutely fantastic. She was. really, was, really good. But uh, yeah, no, it is. I, I, I've got to agree with um, Ian and Michelle. Um, it is an absolute classic, mm. um, and I'd say it's probably up there, up there in my top ten um, of Doctor favorite Doctor Two mm. episodes as well.
1: And and, and so, the Long yeah. Game is always one of those episodes that people don't really have particularly high regard for and uh, I I think in the same way that Drew assessed Aliens of London and World War 3 in the last episode through a completely Mm. fresh set of eyes um i started series one at the beginning with my daughter and i'm about to watch aliens of london and world war three and i'm actually really looking forward to watching that now and that's solely down to to drew but i think the long game is gonna be a very similar experience and and from what i do remember and listening to what ian was saying in particular it's it is a real commentary on what is going on and you know Politics, both in the UK and indeed in in America
2: these these days. You, you look back on it now, it was prophetic, really. Yeah. Because as you say, it's exactly what is happening right now. The media manipulates everything. Um, I actually, I, I've watched it sort of, I'd say, recently over the last few months, and I actually quite enjoy the long yeah. game. Um, I think at the time of transmission, I think coming kind of off the back of Dalek, it was a bit oh, it's a bit of a bit, it's a bit of a come down. But knowing where it's leading to it makes a lot more sense.
1: Mm, no, absolutely. And, and yeah. I, I seem to remember I quite enjoyed the performances in this as well. I mean, Simon Pegg was extremely good. I mean, I mean, I, I, I like him in pretty much anything I see him. Mean, it was Simon Pegg, wasn't mm. it? Yes. Just making sure. It was certain. Simon yeah. Pegg, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Never quite sure these days, but um I, I, I think um, everybody loves to hate Adam. Um And of course, that's what he's there for. You are supposed to not like yep. him. And I think um, Bruno Langley actually plays a, a deliberately unlikable character quite well um, and uh, I, I I don't have a passionate hatred for him <laughs> um I,
2: I, I think I, I think it was Ian said he's there as as the as the not companion really, I suppose he? he's, so. he's, he's, yeah. yeah and
1: yeah. He, he kind of makes Mickey look less pathetic but um, <laughs> but uh, I will just say it was nice to hear Ian and Michelle back together again. yes, the team's how back. lovely yes. how lovely good stuff okay well I think that brings us to the end of episode 299 of the Doctor Who podcast please join us again next month as we said there may be something slightly special coming out towards the end of December no expense spared so uh, please make certain that you uh, you join us for episode 300 um, do feel free to get in touch with us as always Phil um, i uh, can you remember I can't remember anything so now how do people get in yes, touch the, with us
2: you can email us at feedback at the doctor who uh, you can also get in touch with us on twitter um, that is at the dr who podcast yes it there is you go. And, and, and there's also there's the doctor who podcast facebook group as well so there's there's no excuse yes
1: get in touch send in your yes. feedback
2: we want to hear from you
1: <laughs> phil great <laughs> to speak to you as always listeners Thank you for joining us. Congratulations on making it this far, if indeed you have. Bye for now.
2: Goodbye.
5: To reward you for playing the long game and watching this space for what seems like several years, you've been listening to The Doctor Who Podcast number 299, with James, Phil, Drew, Michelle, and Ian, and originally me, but unfortunately James slipped and fell on the tube, bumped his head, and forgotten who I was for six whole days. Ah, uh, sympathy for the poor devil. You can find them via email at feedback at com, on Facebook under The Doctor Who Podcast, and on Twitter at the DR Who podcast. All episodes can be found on iTunes or at the Who Podcast.com. And once again, this has been the Doctor Who podcast and you are most welcome.